welcome to the I Spy with My MyOI podcast. I am your host, Brittany Sierra. I am a certified oral facial myologist, registered dental hygienist, and lifelong learner. My goal with this podcast is to expand your knowledge of oral facial myofunctional disorders and to bring you up to date in current literature so that together we can get to the root of the problem. You ask, we'll answer by collaborating with true pioneers and specialties associated with the myo world. Join me on this journey as we dive into the life-altering world of tethered oral tissues and airway space. Let's do this thing. Quick disclaimer, all content expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the speakers and is for informational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Because every person is so unique, you should always consult with your specialized healthcare professional. Dr. Liz Turner has been a dentist for nine years and has always loved what she does. Dr. Liz grew up in a small town in Maine and currently lives in Denver, Colorado. Her training was completed at Tufts Dental School in Boston and the University of New Mexico for an advanced certification in general dentistry. Dr. Liz loves coffee, running, she ran competitively for years in college and marathons afterwards, traveling, and spending time with her pug Bucky, her husband Mike, and her son Paxton. She is due with a baby girl May 12th of this year. Dr. Liz discusses how she didn't learn in school just the depth of how attached the mouth and the body are and it wasn't until the birth of her son a few years ago that her world changed. He was born tongue-tied and it was impacting his feeding. Since she wasn't having pain and he was gaining weight, she was told, it's just a mild tie, it will stretch, it's no big deal. But a mom knows her baby, and after five weeks, she was able to get his lip and tongue-tie treated with a laser by a dentist. Three days later, Dr. Liz's father-in-law had a heart attack due to untreated sleep apnea and was in a medically induced coma for six days. When looking at his history, he has a tongue-tie that is so restrictive He has had a stutter for his entire life. Dr. Liz started to connect the dots and realized that dentists are not just teeth doctors, but really have an incredible insight into how healthy someone is or has the potential to be. Since then, the focus of Dr. Liz's practice has changed completely. She sees so many people who unfortunately have no idea that something is wrong. They have TMJ problems, anxiety, heart disease, snoring, teeth grinding, and bedwetting as symptoms to just name a few. Dr. Liz realizes we are at a tipping point for medicine, where people are starting to be more aware of their health and aren't accepting just take this medication to feel better as an answer. As a dentist, Dr. Liz believes she has the responsibility to screen her patients for airway dysfunction and can help them in more ways than they know. All right. Well, welcome, Dr. Liz. Thank you so much for coming on and being a part of our podcast. Um, We're very lucky to have you here and really excited to hear um, everything from your point of view. Um, I know, you know, you had mentioned it's kind of a personal story how you truly became an airway focused um, dentist. So if you want to start a little bit about your story, uh, that would be great. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun to be able to do and be able to spread with all the technology and things that we have now. It's great. Um, So I became interested in airway dentistry with the birth of my son, who was born with uh, restrictive oral tethers. So a tongue tie, lip tie, and buckle ties on the cheeks. And everybody told me it was fine. There was no reason to do any treatment. I wasn't having any pain while breastfeeding. He was gaining weight. 
and they said my latch was good. And I just knew that something was different. Like I've never had uh, all that much exposure to babies, but he just seemed uncomfortable. He seemed like he should be happier. And I ended up getting another opinion from a pediatric dentist friend of mine out in New Hampshire. And she said, oh, you have to get that baby treated. And so we had him treated. He was five weeks old and he was instantly better. But three days later, my father-in-law had a fatal heart attack in the ER because of undiagnosed sleep apnea. And because he arrested in the ER, he did actually survive, but it ended up being six days in a medically induced coma, collapsed lung, broken ribs. And how many years does that take off your life? So when we started to connect the dots, tongue ties and airway are so interconnected. And I realized that as a dentist, it's my responsibility to be screening for these things. Absolutely. And it's got to be so incredibly frustrating when, you know, people are like, oh, well, airway dentistry is a fad. Like, how is airway a fad? I mean, we need to breathe. <laughs> yeah, it's the one thing we can't live without. We can live without food for two weeks. We can live without water for a number of days, but we can't live without oxygen for more than two minutes. So yes, I just think that nature of medicine is changing. And it's so inspiring for me to hear my patients asking questions about why this, why that. And I know they want to know what's going on with their health. So people are asking more questions about their health. They aren't satisfied with just take this medication to get better. And I hear it all the time when it comes to airway, TMJ, tongue ties. How come nobody told me this before? And it makes so much sense. And then they'll always say, I always knew something was wrong and no one would help me get answers. Mm -hmm. And so many have settled for not going to other providers or just taking the medication. But at the end of it, so many patients do want other alternatives to treatment and therapy that are just going to help their overall health be better. For sure. So how has this changed the way that, you know, you run, you run your practice? Are, are you doing certain screenings that maybe you weren't doing before? Or, you know, how has that really changed the way your practice runs? Yeah. So I'm in a, uh, a group practice with myself, another a general dentist who's also airway focused. That's how we joined forces and a periodontist and a prosthodontist. And at the end of the day, we're still a general dentistry practice and we still have patients that are just going to not be ready for treatment or to hear that they have something going on. And, you know, it, we all have people out there that we know that aren't exercising when they should or aren't eating healthy and they know they should or aren't taking a medication they know they should be on and their prescription expired a year ago. So there are people that just aren't ready to hear about this, but we always screen for and always plant the seed that there could be an airway issue because that is our responsibility. According to the ADA in 2017, dentists should be screening for airway, a dental professional. So hygiene, all of us should be. And I have shifted from really being kind of a tooth first person to an airway first person. So Oftentimes we'll have people come in and they are interested in Invisalign because their teeth have shifted. Well, I can get them that Invisalign to help them with the shifting teeth, but at the end of the day, I always have to tell them and have a discussion with them as to why this is happening. Are they grinding? Are, is the tongue not in the proper position? Do they have a tongue thrust and they're getting an open bite? And all of these things functionally, which from an OMT perspective, I mean, you see it all the time, uh, have aesthetic issues behind them as well so right and you know it 
for me, it's frustrating because a lot of my patients, you know, as soon as I kind of go off the topic of tongue posture, which is why I get the referrals, they kind of look at me like, what are you talking about? Like, why are you asking me about my sleep or, you know, if I'm tired when I wake up or why are you trying to teach me nasal breathing exercises? And mm-hmm. you know, they don't see that. Like it's, I mean, it's really, really all connected. And I'm mm-hmm. sure um, you'll get like a lot of moms that are like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so sleeps fine. Like he sleeps through the night and you are, you like see all these red flags in the mouth, yeah. even just like, you know, I always tell um, offices when I go to talk to them, like, have the hygienist or the assistants, whoever's calling the patient in, you know, from the waiting room, like start looking at signs from that moment is, are, you know, mm-hmm. are they nasal breathing? Are they mouth breathing? Um, yeah. Forward head posture, all those yeah. things. So how do you kind of dive into the conversation with a mom, you know, when you have a kid in the chair? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, I mean, dry lips are so easy, especially here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And- like you said, a lot of them will be like, oh no, he sleeps great. He's four and he sleeps 12 hours and then he takes two, three hour naps. And it's like, <laughs> sleep the whole day and he still has diagnosis of ADD. Like there's something going on here. So it's, it's a hard conversation to have. And I talk to a lot of teachers and things about this too. You don't want to come out and say behaviorally, how is your kid? Because everybody thinks their kid's perfect. I'm biased. I think my kid's perfect, but he's still mouth breathing on occasion. And, mm-hmm. and it's, Dry lips are just so easy because you can look at that open mouth posture and then you can equate it to older actors and things like that, that people know, like Napoleon Dynamite. I mean, that actor, the long face posture, the open mouth posture. And I mean, that's part of the parody. That's part of the funny is the open mouth breathing and the loud breathing. And, but who wants their kid to turn out that way? So oftentimes I'll say it like that. And then we'll look at tonsils and adenoids. And I hate to say, but so many do still require an EMT referral, at least for an evaluation, because I can't see what the adenoids look like. Um, I'll, I'll try always getting the closed mouth posture started because Mm -hmm. you can bring a lot of that down, but you know, red gums, bleeding gums, plaque on the front of the teeth, oh, they brush their teeth really well and they let me help them. Well, why is the front of their teeth all still covered in plaque? And so those are all gentle ways that I can start to plant the seed. And then I'll, I'll normally have them go home and say, just watch them sleep, like step in there. Are they a restless sleeper? Are the blankets tossed? Have you noticed any bedwetting? And that's one that I try to not say in front of the child too, because no kid wants to feel like, they're being stigmatized with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are all, all easy ways. It, but normally it'll start with the dry lips. So I'll come in for hygiene and the, my hygienist will say, oh, I've, I've noticed that we've got some really dry lips and we're doing some lip licking. And I know it's really dry here in Colorado, especially here this time of year, but we should uh, dive a little deeper and see why we're doing this and can we fix it? Right, absolutely. Um, and then what about, cause you know, there's different types of sleep disordered breathing. So typically when we think of like OSA or obstructive sleep apnea, many people tend to think more of like those overweight men usually, mm-hmm. um, that have OSA, but you know, we're seeing a lot, a lot more, you know, women, skinny women having mm-hmm. signs of sleep disordered breathing. Um, so I feel like that's always a kind of hard subject to broach too, because it's almost like people associate it with such like a negative connotation, but Mm -hmm. even just snoring is really considered, you know, a sleep breathing disorder. So 
Um, you know, what's your, what's your take on that? Well, when I go into a room or when I have somebody coming in for a, even a, especially a TMJ evaluation, a, it, we see TMJ issues and pain in, more in women than in men. And that has to do with testosterone, estrogen, awareness, I think too, of just kind of your overall body state. Women, we just seem to be more aware for better mm -hmm. or worse. <laughs> we're looking to do things to fix it. And I will say that my females like that, who I have this conversation with, are more receptive than the men because the men don't want to think anything's wrong. They don't want to do anything. No offense, men. But um, <laughs> so when it comes to the different stages of sleep disordered breathing or different types, I normally will say, you know, you've probably heard of sleep apnea. You probably know somebody who has a CPAP. I like to call it sleep disordered breathing or breathing disordered sleep because there are so many different types and you don't fit the 400 pound man category. You don't fit the overweight category and the wide neck category, but that doesn't mean that there's not a restriction somewhere in your airway. And oftentimes the light bulb will go on and they'll be able to understand then that the reason that they have trouble falling asleep, the reason they get up to use the bathroom a couple times a night, the reason that they are a light sleeper or don't dream or have been sometimes diagnosed with insomnia. Those are all the reasons um, that they'll start to understand that there could be something structural that's contributing to the way that they're feeling. So yeah, I mean, there's mild, moderate, severe sleep apnea, snoring, upper airway resistance syndrome, and it is difficult from a a person's perspective who addresses all of these to hear physicians say, oh, that's not a big deal. I had someone with an AHI of 12 the other day, and because they weren't at 15, they were told that it wasn't a problem. And an AHI of 12 means that you're stopping breathing for 120 seconds per hour. So that's two minutes per hour, you're without oxygen. And to hear another medical provider say that that's not a problem is really disheartening because number one, the patient comes back angry. Mm -hmm. And number two, we're not helping that person, either one of it's us. Like if you're not suffering by this amount, then sorry, we're not going to help you. Exactly. Like how do you, how do they literally in their head think that that's okay? Like yeah. we know, we exactly. see that something's going on, but it's just not going wrong enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we'll wait till you get worse or we'll wait yeah. till you high blood pressure. Yeah. Know. Or like your, your father-in-law's, you know, instance, you know, it's awful. I'm sure that happens way too often. And it's like you said, it, it could be stopped if people would just accept and recognize that, you know, these are real symptoms. Mm -hmm. And the thing with him is it, this could have been addressed so much earlier. He'd had a speech impediment from the age of four. So he's got a significant restriction underneath his tongue. And he has now developed these very narrow, crowded arches mm -hmm. and the tongue nowhere to sit. So it sits on top of the teeth and it leads to the obstructive sleep apnea because he doesn't have room for everything. Sorry, dog, I think I'm going to have you repeat that because my dog started growling. So I don't know <laughs> if it's going to be heard over you. Um, Perfect. I'm sorry. So I don't, I didn't mean to stop you there, but. No, you're fine. This is <laughs> fine. I'm hiding in the basement. So <laughs> yeah. So my father-in-law, he has a really significant restriction underneath his tongue, and he's had a speech impediment since he was four years old is when they started to notice it. And it led to a lot of psychological stuff, like uh, just fear of talking in public and all this mm -hmm. stuff. And you know, now he has zero filter. So now that he's, <laughs> you 
be seven years old. But uh, I mean, all these things in childhood, not only physically, but psychologically. So when we think about 75% of jaw growth being completed by age four, if we had noted that he had this restriction underneath his tongue and we had addressed the dental crowding that ensued later, could we have prevented this significant life event and hopefully added years to his life? I, I really think we could have. Absolutely. Um, so what are your thoughts on, you know, so well, actually, let me ask you this first. Do you guys re do the um, phrenectomy releases in the office or do you refer out for them? We do do many of them in office. We have a non-contact laser, uh, okay. we use a sodium laser, and, uh, which is equivalent to a CO2. And that's, they have, uh, both have tremendous uses. The erbium that we have, it also has a capability of being able to do some tissue tightening of the soft palate and the tonsillar area. So not okay. actually the tonsils, the dentists, but we can tighten up the tissue of the soft palate to help number one, reduce snoring, which people love. But number two, when we can tighten up that long, flabby, soft palate, we can improve airflow. So we can also offer that in conjunction uh, for our patients. Awesome. That's so awesome. My, one of, um, that's actually one of the procedures that my doctor does as well, uh, the dentist okay. that I work for um, with the laser. So, um, you know, let's talk about how, cause I know you mentioned that, you know, tongue tie or at least the different types of tongue tie aren't really something that we learn. And, you know, for you in dental school or for me in hygiene school, like, you know, we learn about that really tethered ankyloglossia, um, or if a baby can't breastfeed, then maybe the tongue gets looked at, but you know, we aren't taught that in school, which is surprising to patients when, you know, I say that to them because they're, they'll say, well, how come, you know, my, the pediatric dentist didn't point this out or my child's a pediatrician. So let, let's talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. I'll normally say to parents that this is something that's unfortunately not taught in school. And a lot of times we learn it by having a personal experience with uh, one of our own family members or friends. And it's something that is becoming more and more apparent as awareness grows and the increase in the number of women breastfeeding is uh, continuing because for a while there was a drop off in the number of moms that were breastfeeding because formula was touted to be better. Formula was, it was supplemented with vitamins and minerals and it's just better than breastfeeding. And now that we're seeing this push towards breastfeeding as the, what we should be doing and even the hospitals uh, with many of them have programs where they're not giving pacifiers or things like that, or they're not offering bottle feeding unless it's needed. Uh, I am it's unfortunate that this isn't learned in school. And I think as awareness continues to grow that more and more providers will be trained in it, especially as I've seen taking classes over the years, I've seen the number of providers in each one continue to grow and the uh, awareness from a healthcare perspective get better and better. Because, you know, the EMTs do treat these at birth, but I do think that a 
dental providers technique is different because many of us are trained in active wound care to do after. So we see a lot of reattachment from the babies who've had releases in the hospitals, unfortunately, because the parents aren't educated in why they need to stretch the tongue, why they need to get the tongue stronger, why it needs to be mobilized and things like that. Absolutely. And so that will lead me into my next question then. Um, the function of the tongue. You know, I also think that's something that we don't learn enough about in school and how important the tongue is for just so much. So if you want to talk a little bit about that. For sure. That, you know, when we learn about tongue ties in school, it, it has to do with speech. And when we learn about lip ties in school, it has to do with orthodontics and having a space between your front teeth. And that's when you should fix it. But when we talk about tongue function, and the tongue is a tremendous muscle, and it's all, fascia is all throughout our body. It's what holds our body together. It's the scaffold of everything. Our muscles, our bones, our organs. Without the fascia that goes from our tongue to our toes, we would just fall apart like a blob. So the tongue not only is a muscle, but it's connected in some sense all the way down to the toes. So the, the, the muscular component of the tongue is to really elevate, lateralize, move side to side, go forward. And what that does is a very, very strong muscle is it can help and be the primary mechanism for the maxilla, the top jawbone to grow outward. And what we're seeing in many of our adult patients is what's called maxillary hypoplasia. So the maxilla, the top jawbone is too small. And that means the bottom jaw, it has nowhere to go except being forced upwards and backwards. That leads to a lot of TMJ pain. It leads to the bottom jaw being pushed backwards into the airway. So it leads to more sleep problems. So if we can get that jawbone on the top to grow as it should, and 75% of jaw growth is done by age four, if we can get that started and optimal early, then we can prevent all of these problems down the line. So tongue function not only is for the muscular component of spreading out the teeth on the top and getting that top bone to grow, but it can also lead to, if it's restricted, lead to a lot of neck and back tension, headaches, even discrepancies in leg lengths there's some studies on. So from a chiropractic standpoint, like low back pain in the SI joint, and one leg being longer than the other can have uh, be related to tongue ties. It's, it's really interesting. It's kind of wild. Um, now, as far as palatal expansion goes, do you ever have the frustration where, I mean, maybe I'm sure at least probably the orthodontists in your, your network are kind of all on the same page as you, but maybe, you know, before you really, um, gained that nice collaborative team have did you have orthodontists that were seeing your patients that maybe weren't recommending expansion when it should have been 100 yeah. <laughs> percent it's difficult because there's only really one i know in town who's actually unless it's a tether a tongue tie all the way to the tip of the tongue there's only one I know in town that's actually talking about tongue function and why people are crowding and we still have many that are recommending extraction treatment plans in younger individuals where we remove teeth that we should have space for and we could have space for. So I, I do think a collaborative approach with orthodontists is, is important, but I do also think that there are certain cases that should get sent to some people and certain that should get sent to others. Uh, Which is so tough. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. always like, it's a, 
hard line because, you know, you don't want to obviously insult a colleague of yours or, you know, you know, anything like that. But, and the thing is, is people don't know what they don't know, which I get, but when the information's being offered to you and you're just denying it or not looking into it, that's when like, it's even more frustrating. It's like, just get off your high horse and read it. Like there's literature to back up all of this. Mm-hmm. And when you know, I'll have some people that say like, oh, you're sipping the Kool-Aid juice. Like, no, <laughs> this is real. <laughs> it's hard because I hear in a lot of the training programs, they say that this stuff doesn't work and this stuff isn't a thing. And we use a lot of functional removable appliances, mm-hmm. both in children and in adults. Um, you know, my husband and I each wear an appliance for 12 to 16 hours a day. And the intention is that we're getting the jaw growth that we didn't get when we were younger. And for my husband, we're treating severe sleep apnea and we've already brought him down to moderate level. Dreams. And, you know, he had adult orthodontic therapy when he, he was in his thirties. And if the same thing with my son and his father, if we caught him earlier, then we would never be in this position. Absolutely. Um, But there's, many training programs I hear in the orthodontic world that say that functional appliances like, you know, the Vivo system, the Myo Brace, the Myo Munchie, those things don't work. And that, you know, the removable older adult appliances like the DNA appliance, those don't work either. That we could just do rapid palatal expansion and get the same result. And so, yes, you do get an improvement with rapid palatal expansion, but the relapse is so significant that is it worth it without doing a functional appliance after? So. Right. And you know, it's, it's good enough. You know, you want to give somebody obviously the structural chance, but if they don't have the function behind it, you know, that's definitely when we're going to see those relapses. So, you know, I, I had a 24 year old patient come in that um, he's going through orthodontics for a second time and he was never expanded. Um, he did have his tongue released, you know, he, I forget which, which instrument it was that he played, but it was obviously impacting his ability to do it. So they did this tongue release, but then they never recommended, you know, any myofunctional therapy following it. Mm -hmm. So when he had come in and I'm doing his assessment, he actually failed to mention that he had the phrenectomy done. He forgot. So when I said (laughs) to him, um, you know, has anybody ever told you that you have a restricted, you know, lingual frenum? obviously use different terms with him, but, um, he was like, Oh, well, yeah. Like I had that taken care of when I was 13 and I was like, interesting, (laughs) like, well, they might've, I'm thinking probably they released it anteriorly, but didn't, you know, release it posteriorly, but it's gotta be frustrating, you know, from a patient standpoint too, to be like, well, why wasn't this therapy mentioned to me before? And, you know, obviously we can't change the past. We can only move forward and doing what we're doing right now and help spread the word and, you know, educate everybody. But it's definitely frustrating. Also, when you make this referral and you're seeing this and you're seeing the symptoms and the implications it has on a patient and then the provider you're sending them to, you know, I think you, like you had mentioned earlier, they're like, oh, well, it's okay. Or it's not that bad. Or if you send a kid to have their tonsils and adenoids um, evaluated, they're like, oh, well, we'll just watch them for now. Yeah. The child can't breathe. Yeah. It's almost, you know, sometimes it's just better to have a conversation with a provider before the patient gets there. But, and it's also like, is the patient going to go? It was, I try and 
be vague but specific in my mm-hmm. referral. Like, mm-hmm. please evaluate this because I know it's a problem. Right. <laughs> so, so I see you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay. So actually, what so what appliance are you wearing? So I'm in what's called a DNA appliance, a day and night appliance, and it's a biomimetic orthopedic appliance. And so biomimetic means uh, replicating kind of what humans should be. So in a perfect world, we all have 32 teeth. In a perfect world, we all would have been breastfed to age four. We would have had a harder diet. We would have all of our the epigenetics of like tongue ties and why they show up and things like that wouldn't be an issue. So none of us would have a tongue tie. We'd all have been breastfed for a long time or our tongue tie would have been taken care of. So we could have, and we would have had a harder food diet. So we would have had the perfect development arch form for the 32 teeth that we genetically should have. That means all of our normal teeth and our wisdom teeth, which most of us have had pulled. And so what we're trying to do is I have always been a mouth breather and just thought I had a small nose. I didn't understand that that was an issue. And so looking back, I look at my athletic career and so many different things and how could I have lived more optimally or been a better athlete had I been nasal breathing this whole time. So we, I have a restricted upper arch, which you wouldn't know by looking at me. And then also some TMJ issues, but I don't have pain. So nobody's ever addressed it. So what we're doing in me is spreading out my upper arch and that in turn will bring my lower jaw forward so that I don't have so much compression in my jaw joint and I don't lead to pain down the line. I don't have pain now, but what will happen in 20 years if it's bone Mm -hmm. on bone? And then same thing with my husband. He's in a day and night appliance and he, uh, he has an upper one and a lower one and his shifts his lower jaw forward just a little bit so that he can breathe kind of like in a mandibular advancement device, which is an oral appliance that many dentists use. And I think are tremendous tools, but they're not permanent changes. So what the mandibular advancement device does is it uh, holds your lower jaw forward. It stretches out the soft palate. So we get a decrease in snoring and an improvement in sleep, but over time it causes negative bite changes. So your front teeth come together and your bottom or your back teeth don't. So the approach with the removable DNA appliance, the day and night appliance, is that we're actually spreading out the sutures in the maxilla over time and using the stem cells that surround the teeth over time to grow the bone outward so that not we're not moving the teeth through the bone like orthodontics, but we're moving the bone with the teeth so that we can get more airway and more airway space for airflow to come through, both in the nasal and in the lower airway. Now, how long have you guys been in the appliance for? So my husband's been in his about eight months and he sleeps through the night. His AHI has dropped from 28 to uh, 15. So he went from almost severe sleep apnea to almost mild sleep apnea. And he, is sick less. He has less sinus issues. He's had two sinus surgeries in the past. Uh, He's had chronic lower back pain from degenerative disc disease and that with other modalities is improving for the first time in his life. And so we do see that he'll need some orthodontic work down the line, some clear aligners likely, 
And he's also working with a myofunctional therapist because he does still need a tongue release. Um, I've had my appliance for four months and with lip taping and clearing the nose and working on breathing exercises and with a tongue release, I've been able to transition from primarily mouth breathing to primarily nasal breathing. So you can practice on yourself, you know? Um, so what's the, I mean, I'm sure it's obviously different for everybody, but like, what's the recommended time that you're both going to be in the device? So the older you are, the longer it is. And mm-hmm. for him, he's in his forties. So the timeline is a little more significant. And also the amount of, of expansion and growth that we're trying to get is, is significant. We, he has a, an arch that from molar to molar across the palate, it measures 33 millimeters. So that's what a four-year-old should really have. Right. And so we're trying to get him into the, into the forties. So we're looking at, you know, 10 millimeters of growth and that's going to take about two years. Mm-hmm. And the tongue release will help speed things up because then when he's not wearing the appliance and when his tongue is resting properly where it should, we'll also get, expansion and pressure against the teeth and uprighting of the teeth that have kind of tipped in. Um, and so for me, my, my treatment plan is about 12 months. Okay. So, and then there I would be able to, I'm a, I'm a big clencher, big grinder. And so once we improve the breathing process, the clenching and grinding, uh, it's gone down significantly and I expect it to go down more. So. Awesome. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about, um, the actual, um, phrenectomies. How important do you believe um, active wound healing to be? I know you talked a lot about, you know, seeing a lot more reattachment um, without it. Oh, I think it's so essential. And I can say that firsthand. My, my son, I had him released at five weeks. And three days later, my father-in-law had a heart attack. So I never went back for my follow-up because we drove across the country and went to stay with him. And I didn't understand how essential the wound care was. So I had to have him re-released at 18 months. And after that, with the active wound care, we've seen no reattachment. He's done tremendous. It's hard doing active wound care on an 18 month old, but uh, you know, everybody's protocol is different. So there are many providers that say six times a day for six weeks for the tongue and for four weeks for the lip. That's a lot when you're dealing with a kid that's in daycare. If you have a newborn in your home and you're feeding frequently, it's a lot more realistic. And it's unfortunate that our lives are so busy and sometimes we have to look at what's reasonable before we do something. But if a parent isn't going to be able to do active wound care on a toddler, then I think it's more important to to have the release done later when we're able to make sure that the success is going to be there. Because if we release them at 18 months and the active wound care isn't completed, the chance that we're going to have to re-release them at age four is incredibly high. So um, can you just get- talk actually, cause I don't know whoever's listening. Some people might not know what we actually mean by active, um, active wound care. Yeah. So, uh, wound healing, we, we have a frenum is a, is a, a restrictive piece of tissue. So kind of like a tendon, it's holding the tongue down. And when we release it, we don't want 
well, that tongue is going to go rest where it naturally has been. It doesn't have the strength yet to be resting at the roof of the mouth. Uh, babies react so much quicker and we can encourage that upward tongue posture where the tongue should be resting for all of us really, really quickly because they can redevelop their swallow pattern really fast. But what we want to do is not let that tongue go rest back to where it was and have what's called, many people call it reattachment. So that frenum can not only reattach and get tight again, but there can be scar tissue and a thicker, thicker band of tissue that makes it even worse if we don't encourage that tongue to be upwards and sideways and let that wound heal not back to where it was originally. So it's kind of like a physical therapy after you have a broken arm. So we go ahead and we release the tongue, but if we don't do the physical therapy, we're going to be right back where we started. So when I say active wound care for the lip, it's basically lifting the lip up to the nose, holding it for two to three seconds, and then releasing it. It's not like you're spending hours and hours stretching a lip and stretching a tongue. Same thing for the tongue. So you have to get in there, get under the tongue, hold it up and kind of backwards for two to three seconds. And what we're looking at the whole time is it forms a little diamond shape. So that's a really good indicator for parents that they're doing it right. We want that diamond to be long and uh, have a little bit of tension on it. We don't need to pull really hard. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and then I know we kind of already talked about this somewhat, but we can always talk about it again to really drive it home. What would you say are the implications um, that you might see in an untreated tongue tie for a child or, you know, later in life as an adult? Oh my gosh, for kids, there's so many things. Uh, we see one in five children is on medication for ADD or ADHD. And the symptoms that lead to a diagnosis of ADD or ADHD are very consistent with the same symptoms of not getting adequate sleep as a child. So in adults, we may fall asleep at the wheel. In children, we may be hyperactive, and it's the exact same thing. So we see a lot of children that are medicated, and they shouldn't be. Uh, we see a lot of children that bed wet. We see lower IQ scores because they're not able to kind of focus in school. Uh, we see dental crowding. We see dry lips. We see inflamed gum tissues. We see higher cavity rates. Uh, we see longer-term braces. And then as we go into adults, uh, we'll also start to see sleep disorder, well, sleep disorder breathing in children, but it'll transition to what most people think of as like sleep apnea or upper air resistance syndrome. We see a ton of TMJ pain, headaches, migraines, depression and anxiety, diabetes, certain types of cancer, including breast cancer, have been linked to sleep disorder breathing, uh, heartburn, worn down teeth. Clenching and grinding from a dental perspective is one thing that all of us as dental providers can be screening for. Uh, tori, those little bony growths that are in the upper and lower jawbone. We see so much from uh, oral health perspective that for us to not be linking the two things together is, is really hard to see. And I look back on my own career and I'm sad that I didn't know these things. But you, again, you don't know what you don't know. And so finally, when the education's offered to you, you, you take it and run with it. So. Yeah, and it, it, it just all makes so much sense. Like I remember the first um, oral facial myology course I took and it was like this 
giant light bulb just going off. Like, Mm -hmm. holy cow, like really, it all makes so much sense. So like, I just don't understand how somebody can be, even if you just start hearing about it, like how somebody can like turn, turn away from it. Like if you, if you just listen, like it literally all makes so much sense. The whole connection from the mouth to the body, to sleep, to airway, like it, it's just the missing piece that, you know, we've been missing for so, so long. And that's where, I mean, I think it's so important for all of us to work together because, you know, like you mentioned with, uh, you know, active wound care and reattachment and it, it's not in older individuals, it's not just active wound care. I mean, we're normally suturing those patients mm-hmm. so that we don't really have much active wound care. Their active wound care is their myofunctional therapy. So mm-hmm. in adults where I suspect a sleep disorder, I don't just jump into a phrenectomy because I'm concerned that I could make their condition worse. If that tongue doesn't know where it's supposed to be and doesn't have the strength to be where it's supposed to be because the patient hasn't had myofunctional therapy, and that component hasn't been addressed, then I could actually make them sicker. So I think it's important for all of us to work together from, you know, a bodywork perspective, from a strength and myo perspective, and then from, uh, you know, a a release provider perspective, because I'm I'm not a functional uh, evaluator. I would love to do some myofunctional therapy training down the line, some lactation therapy down the line. Uh, But at the end of the day, I rely on you guys because it's, it's really a, a team that needs to be put in place. Yeah, for sure. My, um, my sister-in-law's mother is actually becoming an IBCLC and I'm like That's great. so excited because, mm-hmm. you know, I start treating patients like maybe four is the youngest that I've treated. Um, so to have somebody that I can have like in my network, like getting them literally from the day of birth. Um, it's just, I'm so excited because I don't have, I don't currently work with, um, a lactation consultant in my, my network or an IBCLC. Um, it has been a little bit of a struggle to kind of develop that collaborative team. I mean, definitely over the last, you know, year or two years, I feel like it's been easier because more people are becoming aware of the whole airway connection. Um, but it is, you know, so important and, even though it's not in my scope of practice, like I love listening to podcasts about, you know, feeding and lactation. Like it's just, it's so fascinating to me. Yeah, it's fascinating. And I, it's difficult because I do, when I talk to a lot of lactation providers, it's, it's not, tongue ties aren't taught in initial rounds of education like in the CLC courses so Mm -hmm. I may take a CLC course right after I deliver my baby just out of curiosity and because everything is going digital I think that this course which would have been an in-person will be virtual so I'm hoping to sit in on that but I know from experience and from patients that I've had that are actually lactation uh, consultants that they didn't learn this and Mm -hmm. it's you know one of them her baby she had no idea he had a tongue tie until he was almost a year old. And she said, I, I've gone through all this training. She's not an IBCLC, she's a CLC, but she uh, had no idea that a tongue tie, she thought her latch was good. Everybody had told her it was good. She brought her baby to class even. So it's, uh, it's all kind of what you're exposed to. And so it's well, wonderful. Like you said, because you know, typically when you think about a baby being tongue-tied, you think about how they're just not able to breastfeed, but like you, you know, you were able to breastfeed your son. So, 
you know, luckily with you being in the dental world, like you knew that something wasn't right and kind of just mother's intuition too, I'm sure comes into that. Um, but I feel like so many people go under the radar because depending on the type of tie, you know, they can breastfeed. So a lot of people yeah. will just say, oh, well, you know, it's okay because he's breastfeeding. And it is challenging because so many times it's blamed on the mother. Like I've heard you have short nipples. He doesn't like your milk. He's allergic to this. And when it comes down to it, I mean, they're having long feeding sessions. The baby's falling asleep on the breast because they're exhausted. They're not getting a deep latch. Their upper lip may be folding over. A ton of them have aerophasia induced reflux and are put on medication when really if we just address the proper tongue function, then we would be okay. And so it is sad to hear that so much is placed on the mom. And at the end of the day, it's kind of the baby's anatomy right. <laughs> anatomy that's affecting this. So um, one more thing I want to talk about. So we talked about, you know, the implications of a tongue tie, but what about a lip tie? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So lip ties, I mean, you see it, I'm sure all the time from a myo perspective, especially when we have somebody who's kind of later in development, you know, you, I think of like a 12 year old boy, because this is like the most common because number one, they're not taking care of their teeth. And number two, they're just sitting there with this open mouth posture and they've got a long, narrow face. They've got a higher arched palate. They've got kind of the more buck teeth appearance because of how their maxilla has formed. And that upper lip, though, maybe they didn't have problems breastfeeding. Maybe they don't have a space between their front teeth, uh, things like that. The lip posture is so important, just like the tongue posture is. So if they can't, if they don't have the strength to keep the lips closed, because that frenum's too tight, then number one, we're not going to get nasal breathing accomplished. And number two, we're not going to get them from a dental perspective to where they need to be because chances are they've already got demineralization. So like white spots or cavities all across their front teeth. And then the poor oral hygiene doesn't help either. So I do think that untreated lip ties, I am more hesitant to release those if we have somebody who's doing well, if so, if we have, you know, a six-year-old and we're able to encourage nasal breathing and we do see, because a lip tie that goes down to the ridge of where kind of the teeth and the jawbone meet is very common. I mean, that's when it starts to wrap around onto the palate, those are the ones that are considered more problematic, but you can still have a lip tie. We all have a little friend on there, but it just depends on if it's restrictive or not. And so I think it's easier to catch those in infancy or you know, toddler type patients and past like eight to 10 years old. It's that kind of no man's land. And I think that's where a functional provider would come in more because you guys are evaluating like the lip strength with the button test and things like mm -hmm. that. I'm not doing that. So if, if you guys recommend the release, then I 100% will do it. Yeah, like you said, it's that collaborative approach that's going to definitely help um, the patient the most. Um, mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners that we haven't touched on or any last words you'd like to leave them with? Oh my gosh, I just think this is such a fun time to be a provider in this space, whether it be lactation or craniosacral or myo or dental. Because as the awareness grows and I, it's social media has its pros and its cons, right? But for like us, we kind of, we met online through, uh -huh. through all <laughs> it's really fun to grow your network of providers 
because chances are the provider that you may want to work with is across the country. And so it's really nice to get their input and their collaboration with all of this. And I just think we're on the forefront of something really, really big when it comes to overall health. And it's not able to be ignored anymore, which is, is really exciting because I just want to help everybody live better. And it's such a fun time. Yeah, no, I totally 100% agree with you. And it's always so exciting. Like, I feel like I get so giddy when I come across, you know, other healthcare professionals that just get it because, yeah. you know, it's so frustrating when you, I feel like for every, you know, say like 10 people I may reach out to, like, I'll get two responses, but those two responses, it's just so exciting for me to get the more I hear, the more people that are aware of it and treating patients and making them aware of it and just educating. And that's really the other, you know, the thing that we can do the most is kind of what we're doing right now and just helping to spread the word because maybe somebody's not going to hear it from their dentist like you. You know, they might hear it on this podcast or from, I don't know, reading some social media Bobby blogs. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And that's the other thing is we're at such an interesting time where what is proper treatment is changing all the time and is really up for interpretation. I mean, my approach is different than everybody else's approach in some way or another. And that doesn't mean I'm right or wrong and that they're right or wrong. We all have different ideas and what we've seen. And by listening to each other and working with each other, I mean, we can bring this to a more standardized uh, way of treatment. I mean, even down to tongue-tie diagnosis, I know it changes every single day what grading system people are using and how that grading system is distributed throughout the community. So I know that right now, um, Dr. Zaghi is working out in California, is working on changing his own grading system that he put together to be something that kind of analyzes both the anterior portion of the tongue and the posterior portion of the tongue. But then there are people that use other different grading system and scoring systems. And that doesn't mean that somebody's right or wrong. It's just everybody has a different way of doing it. And at the end of the day, if we're getting similar results and the same results, then I don't know, let's just keep going. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing all of your, your knowledge, um, you know, clinically, personally, everything and we wish you the best with the birth of your new baby girl thank you thanks for uh, rescuing my toddler who's <laughs> from daycare so i thought i'd get uh, so much done these couple weeks being you know uh quarantined, quarantined. but he's with me we'll just go bounce back in the bouncy house there you go well you enjoy the rest of your day dr liz and you we will too. Talk, we'll talk to you soon have a good one Thank you for listening to today's episode of I Spy with My Maya Y. If you want to hear more about these episodes, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or feel free to contact me at bsierra.omt at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe as well and let us know of any subject or guest speaker you'd like to hear from. Help spread the word by sharing today's episode on your social media page. You can find me on Facebook at CT Oral Facial Myology and Instagram handle 
CT underscore oral facial underscore myology. Everybody have a wonderful day.